You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Globe and Mail Communities Editor Matthew Ingram goes on the record online. You know, you can talk about citizen journalism, you can talk about all sorts of things. I think what we're talking about is the fact that people have these tools and can get information out of places quickly that, that didn't used to be possible. And so if, if you're a news organization and you're not taking advantage of that, then I think you are missing the boat in a, in a serious way. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Matthew Ingram. He is the community's editor at the Globe and Mail, which is a national newspaper in Canada. I had a chance to talk to him about how he uses Twitter and other social media tools to keep abreast of the news, uh, the, the role he sees Twitter and social media playing in the news gathering process, and why Twitter is in many cases just as valuable as mainstream media when it comes to reporting events as they occur in real time. Uh, we are going to play it for you in its entirety after this. Hi, this is Chris Bechtel, and I'm the Vice President of Products and Services with iPressroom. As part of a new segment we're testing here called What You Can Do with iPressroom. In each episode, we're going to highlight one practical use of the iPressroom media platform. Today, we're talking about one of our core offerings, the online pressroom. Using iPressroom's media platform content management system, non-technical communications pros can easily upload, manage, measure, and distribute their content in a full-featured, branded online pressroom. See pressroom.target.com for an example. The same is available on a smaller scale as well for nonprofits, smaller organizations, and mid-sized companies. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to email us questions to info at ipressroom.com or visit us on the web at www.ipressroom.com slash demo. We're talking to Matthew Ingram. He's the uh, community's editor of the Globe and Mail. Um, you reference uh, in your recent blog post about the terrorist incidents in Mumbai and, and Twitter as, 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 as a news source, a post by Om Malik. Um, and uh, and he, he wrote about the evolution of media, and he talks about um, this idea of immediate media. Uh, what, what, what does he mean by immediate media? Well, I think he's saying something similar to, to what I'm saying, which is that Twitter and, and those types of, whether it's blogging or, or you know, um, video camera reports through quick from people's cell phones or... Um, it, we've got a lot more tools that that can transmit immediate reports of some kind, um, text, you know, video, audio. Um, if someone happens to be somewhere, you can get that through a number of different ways immediately. That's something that was only available to journalists in the not-too-distant past. I mean, only people with fairly sophisticated technology um, could do those sorts of things. Now that ability is, is distributed to 
to all sorts of people, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people in different places. And that changes the way I think you look at how news happens. Matthew, uh, you're the community's editor at the Globe and Mail, and you're a, uh, an advocate and adopter of early technology. But I have to wonder how the other folks in the newsroom, maybe some of the more senior reporters, regard you. I mean, are they also using TweetDeck and looking at tag clouds as a way of keeping abreast of facts on the ground? No. I mean, the short answer is no. And uh, obviously, I think it would be great if they did, but um, that type of stuff is still on the kind of bleeding edge or whatever you want to call it. I, I think I think those types of tools are, and, and in a lot of ways, it's not really even necessary for everyone to do it, um, but I think it's a great way of of having sort of ears to the ground, as it were, and you know, you can talk about citizen journalism, you can talk about all sorts of things. I think what we're talking about is the fact that people have these tools and can get information out of places quickly that, that didn't used to be possible. And so if, if you're a news organization and you're not taking advantage of that, then I think you are missing the boat in a, in a serious way. What about the other side of the coin? If you're an, an organization or an individual that wants to get the word out about something that you're doing, you think Twitter is a good way to do that? I do. I do. And obviously, you know, Twitter, not everyone is using it. Not everyone reads blogs. Not everyone has RSS readers. Um, you know, not everyone reads the newspaper. So um, I think you use all the channels you can, whether you're whatever type of business you are. Um, obviously, you want to focus your efforts where you get the most return. Um, but I, I, you don't want to sort of jump on your horse and ride madly off in all directions. But I think you, you, if, if you're not experimenting with new methods, particularly if you're in the information business, which I think is what we're supposed to be doing, if you're not experimenting with different ways of distributing things and contacting um, your readers or your customers or your whatever, then then I think you're you're making a mistake. You're you're missing an opportunity. So as a um, <clears throat> as a sort of barometer for uh, what's going on uh, from a facts on the ground standpoint, you do find it useful. <clears throat> but what what is it that that mainstream media can do that social media can't? I think the the number one thing is just sort of take some time and check the facts and reflect on what is happening and put it into some context um, analysis, um, those sorts of things. I think that's something that if you're talking about a spectrum, on the one end being pe people typing things into their text messaging or into Twitter or, or whatever, then the further along you go on the spectrum, the more you need um, verification, um, analysis, context, and so on. Um, and I think you saw that with Mumbai as well. I, I think it was easy to find out. It's a little like headline news or CNN, the crawl on CNN, versus a show that takes an hour to tell you about what's going on. You, you can find it from the one. You can find out that something has happened. Something blew up. Some people died. But you don't really know why, if, unless you know a lot about India. You don't know anything about Pakistan. You don't know anything about the context behind that activity. And so that's the type of thing that I think 
traditional media is pretty good at. Now, you wrote um, in your post on November 26th, uh, Twitter as a source of journalism, that you weren't just using Twitter. You were using blog search. You were using Wikipedia. You were using Flickr. You were u- using YouTube. You were using pretty much any- anything you could find. Um, so so what, is, how does that, how, what does that look like? Walk us through, practically speaking, are you going from site to site to site? Are you aggregating, aggregating, aggregating it all in one place? How are you consuming all that content? I'm basically just jumping around. I mean, I I typically have, you know, 10 or 15 tabs open in a browser, and I have two computers with browsers running on each one. So um, so that's 30 tabs. And then if something like Mumbai happens, you know, I'll, I'll just I'll blow it up and get 50 or 100 tabs until my computer uh, runs out of RAM. But so jumping from tab to tab, following links, um, into a new tab, so someone posts links in Twitter, someone has a good a roundup of the situation, someone has photos, someone has whatever, um, following a sort of trail to to try and f- sort of gather as much information as possible. And then typically, once I do that, I, I feel compelled to kind of pull it all together somehow, um, which is what I think blogs are great for. So, so um, when, you, when you think about like Twitter, blog search, Wikipedia, Flickr, YouTube, uh, other channels, are, do you find that, these diff- that certain social media channels are better for certain types of information or that there's some sort of market advantage of, of one category over the rest? How do you delineate them and how do you organize uh, their meaning um, in distilling down the, the, the final story in your blog? That's a tough question. I don't. I don't really know what sort of whether there are different um, whether different services fulfill different functions or I. I mean, when I'm in that kind of information collection mode, I I don't really discriminate that much between. I mean, obviously, if you go somewhere and there's there's not that much there. Um, then you move on. But I think the great thing about the web is that there's so much variety in terms of content. There are long posts, there are personal posts, there's text, there's audio, there's video, there's still photos, um, sometimes all at once. And I think those that variety gives you a much better sort of overall picture of things um, than just one format would you um you referenced uh om malik's post uh, where he comes out with this this term immediate media um in your blog post about um twitter as a news source and and my friend uh and podcaster shell holtz who does a podcast called for immediate release um often says uh, uh old media doesn't kill new media uh, old media adapts so uh with that in mind um how does old media, how, do, how does mainstream media adapt to a world uh, where um, facts on the ground um, are being uh, released and supplanted quicker than any editorial process could possibly provide? I, I actually don't think it's that different from, um, from things that, that the media industry is already fairly used to, used to or certain parts of 
the media industry. I mean, if you think about the way a wire service operates, like Associated Press or Bloomberg or Reuters, um, they get reports filed to them from stringers. Um, we have stringers in different places. Um, wire services have more, obviously. They have people who kind of periodically file things who are sort of part-time journalists or people who have a relationship with someone in a bureau. Um, they get those reports. They try to verify them. They put, they move them on. Um, you know, the, those those sort of single-line or two-line reports then get pulled together by an editor. Um, they try to fact-check them. They add new material. It gets sort of aggregated into something larger. It gets pushed out on the wire. Constant updates. Um, I think we're we're really just seeing sort of that model distributed to a lot more places than it used to be. I mean, the, the function of a newswire used to be something that only journalists really were familiar with because they were the only ones who had access to it. But if you think about the way Twitter and other types of sort of immediate media function, um, it's very much like a wire service. It just isn't really run by anybody. So when you're tracking um, the developments in Mumbai, um, you mentioned you're on TweetDeck. You mentioned you know, you're on social media. Are you also looking at the wires? Sure, yeah. Wires, TV, um, whatever. I mean, y- you never know where a sort of, you know, a valuable piece of information is going to come from or who's going to fact check who. So when you look at the wires, are you looking at the wires as a sort of um, fact-checked account of facts on the ground? Like maybe you'd watch Twitter to see developments in real time, um, unsubstantiated, and then sort of once something comes and hits the wire, then you know, hey, this is something I could actually use as source material? Yeah, I would say there's probably still uh, um, a difference between the two. I mean wire services have been around for a lot longer and not that they don't make mistakes but um, you know that there's at least a process um, that there are editors theoretically who who look at that stuff and so I think it's further up the sort of credibility chain but you know every newspaper and media outlet has been embarrassed by a wire service report before Um, hopefully only once Uh, but it does happen um, I, I think those errors tend to be fewer. And another thing you see often with things like Twitter, and, and this was one thing I think Tom mentioned or other people have mentioned, is that often what people are posting isn't actually eyewitness stuff. It's things that they're picking up from TV or from the radio or from other people. Um, so it's a redistribution mechanism. As It's not just... Um, a way of pulling in eyewitness reports, and that's that's a benefit and a disadvantage. When you um, <clears throat> think about uh, uh, the fact that uh, you know, as as you've written and as other has others have said, news is a first draft of history. Um, the currency of news is is its immediacy, right? I mean, the longer time that um, it sits on the shelf, the less relevant it becomes. So if, 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 if something news can do, uh, mainstream media that, that social media can't is perspective and analysis, then, and if, and if there's no way any wire service can have as many feet on the ground as, as Twitter, um, is it possible that, um, the notion of, of breaking news, um, 
is is perhaps a business that mainstream media will not be able to to compete in? I think it depends on how you on how you sort of look at what you're doing. Um, I mean, obviously, the news news per se, um, breaking news news right now that just happened um, is something that is, as I say, being distributed. It's it's now there are any number of different ways of finding those things out, whereas there used to be just radio or TV or newspapers. Um, so I think you definitely, if you're in my business, you definitely have to think about what you're doing differently. Um, and But if you're a newspaper, you've, you've hopefully been thinking about that for 10 or 15 or even 20 years. I mean, TV and, and radio, you know, took away the sort of breaking news, at least TV did, um, some time ago. It's not as though Twitter just did that. So I think we've, we or, or the newspaper industry in general has hopefully been thinking more about um, how to add value to breaking news rather than just saying X happened. And uh, I mean, I hope, I don't know, obviously, but I hope that there are enough people who care not just that something happened, but who want to find out more about it, why it happened, what it means, how it affects them, how it affects the world, um, that that there are going to be enough people who are looking for places to provide context and, and analysis and commentary and so on. Just to provide that context and analysis and perspective requires a, some gestation, you know, and, and so how does journalism uh, take the time it needs to reflect and verify uh, and beat the breaking news that's coming out of Twitter, which, uh, you know, people have a voracious appetite to know about first? Well, I think you, you can't, I mean, I guess if you're if what you see as your whole value is to break news, then you're probably going to see Twitter and tools like that as competition, and you should. Um, and that's not to say that you know newspapers will never break news. There are things that people on Twitter just don't care about that are still newsworthy. Um, but I think it's I think you have to look at what you're offering and what sort of um, where your kind of value lies. And, and as I say, I hope that businesses like, like ours have been thinking about that for some time. You know, it's not as though the Internet just, just occurred. Um, so I think what you have to do is find ways of using those tools to improve what you do and to, to sort of build those into the the spectrum or the process of things that you do um, instead of seeing them as always as a threat because there's there's a huge amount of potential there as well. You and I and the listeners of this podcast are media professionals, uh, so we know better. But, but, but still, the promise of, of a great newspaper or of a great news magazine, really any great news media, is uh, the hope for objectivity. The, the hope that you'll get both sides of the story and be able to make up your own mind based on those both points of view. <clears throat> um, I'm not sure I'd agree with that, actually. But Well, you wouldn't agree that when people go to news, they go to news because they're hoping to get both sides of the story and make up their own mind? 
No, I, I just I I would I would I would hope what people are looking for is um, fairness rather than objectivity. But that's it, that's sort of a semantic thing. Okay. So 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 um, it, it, if that's what people are going for, you know, one of the one of the one of the one of the benefits of mainstream media is that typically, you know, there's some sort of journalistic process and there's a group of editors and there's some sort of process by which consensus is reached and there's hopefully some fact checking and and uh, you can have some degree of certainty that uh, you know this wasn't just uh, uh, written on the impulsive whim mm-hmm. of uh, one person with a cell phone you know on the ground mm-hmm. um, so so it seems to me there there is a real benefit to to mainstream media but the problem is it, it takes more time to produce that product than it does to just, you know, let a tweet go from, from your cell phone. Right, and I think that's why, as I said, you have to look at where you think your business exists on that sort of value chain. And if you, there are lots of people who all they want is immediacy, and they're prepared to, in many cases, to, to forego accuracy and context uh, and analysis because they, so they, if they had sliders that allowed them to select what they were interested in, they would have immediacy all the way over to one side and they'd be prepared to give up a little on the other things. So, but then hope, I would hope that there are lots of other people who would prefer to, to give up a little of the immediacy and get a little more analysis and fact checking and context. Um, if I didn't believe that, then I, you know, wouldn't be in this business. Um, but, you know, I can't obviously say how many there are of one or the other. Um, but I think that what you're seeing is people gravitating towards this or that source based on what they see as um, important. And obviously we'd love it if everybody saw sort of a long piece of text with lots of thoughtful analysis in it as the most valuable thing, but that's not the case. So, so if, um, if we are living in a soundbite culture, and if, as, as many uh, proponents of blogging uh, will tell you, um, you need to be passionate about that, that, about what you blog to be successful, um, you know, precisely the opposite is the case in mainstream media, right? I mean, passion would be seen as 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 potentially corrupting, right? I mean, if, if a journalist was too passionate about a story, that could that could that could create a bias. True, although I think if you are, I mean, passion, you can be passionate about different things. I think if you're passionate about a topic, you want to know everything there is to know about that, and and you want what you know to be communicated to other people and, and for it to be right. Um, obviously, what's right is, is a sort of value-laden you know, judgment. People are going to disagree on what's right. Um, what's actually correct, I hope, there's going to be less disagreement on, but you'll probably still get some on that too. But I think some passion, passion for telling the whole story or getting, you know, the, the the truth or or the facts um, out. I, I don't think that's 
inconsistent with passion about an issue, necessarily. Matthew Ingram, Communities Editor from the Globe and Mail, thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot, Eric. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.